great to hear kids in here. Uh, it's a sign of life. It's also um, a great uh, thing for me to see all of you, to welcome you here today. Um, Emily reminded us of what last Easter was like. I'm glad she did that because I don't remember it. Although I'm sure I was here. I just heard that I actually uh, preached here last Easter, but I don't remember it. Uh, Post-traumatic stress does that to you. And so uh, it is awesome uh, to see uh, you folks uh, here today because we have the opportunity today to re-remind ourselves uh, that a man who was dead walked out of his tomb. Praise the Lord. Um, I have a thing where when, if we don't uh, include the story from the Gospels of the Resurrection, Easter Sunday, I always read it. So I'm going to read it to you uh, here in just a minute after I pray, um, and then we'll uh, look uh, further into uh, Psalm 103. So would you join me now in prayer? Father, we come to you today uh, grateful uh, for what brings us together. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, come to grips with the outrageous claim that draws us together today, and that is uh, that, Lord, uh, you, uh, uh, you were dead, and now you're alive forevermore. Uh, Lord, I pray that you fill us with hope today, uh, not, not a weird hope, not a fake hope, but a hope rooted in a dead body that now uh, walks, talks, breathes, and eats. Uh, would you help us uh, to take uh, our hope from that today? We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I've chosen to read to you this morning from uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And the reason for that is Mark ends his gospel, the best manuscripts that we have of the gospel of Mark, not to get too deep into the weeds, ends here at verse 8. And the reason why I like that is because uh, we uh, do not understand how disturbing and uh, shocking the resurrection was. You know, we, we were like, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Um, I, um, I, I love a, an old commentary I had on this uh, once that I read that said that uh, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is not the typical resurrection from the dead. <laughs> right? So I, I live in a planet where it's not typical at all. So, um, so anyway, uh, in, in light of that, let me read to you Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. This is God's Word. Uh, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. 
There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's how Mark originally ended his gospel. Isn't that great? I think, I think that's, uh, that actually that uh, helps me believe the resurrection story, right? That it was so alarming and so disturbing that uh, uh, they did not, they couldn't process what had just happened in front of them. And so as we come to that today, I, I want to be very clear about what it is that we're talking about when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are talking about someone who was actually dead, a dead body uh, that the soul had separated from, uh, that was no longer breathing, uh, no longer functioning in any way. Uh, people went and saw him placed in a tomb, saw a stone rolled over that, that tomb, and then on the third day, he walked among them. Now, maybe you, when you think about this, we think of the resurrection in uh, some pretty interesting ways. We think, well, maybe it wasn't that uncommon, right? Because Jesus, after all, just a few days before his own resurrection, raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. But raising Lazarus from the dead was re is really not a resurrection. And let me explain why. Jesus is the only person who's actually been resurrected from the dead, who will live forever. Lazarus died. He's dead. Jesus will never die. And because we are in him, our resurrection and the hope that we look forward to and the reality that we set our hearts and minds on is this, that we too in him will rise from our graves, rise from wherever our remains are, and that we will walk and eat and talk and breathe just as he did forever, forever. Death will lose its hold on this planet. Because let's be honest, death reigns, does it not? The cemeteries are filling up. Uh, many of us are uh, struggle to see and to have hope. Many of us struggle to uh, uh, get past our anxiety of the fear of sickness, the fear of financial ruin, the, the fear of uh, political devastation, the fear of racism and oppression. We fear all of those things. Many of us who are gathered here today have come to church, and it is a great thing to be here. But just as we've mentioned, it's been a year, hasn't it? A little more than a year of difficulty, of challenge. And so the thing that is pr profound about that for us today is to ask the question and to talk about how do I take this great thing that Jesus did, that he lived life on this planet, that he walked about, that he talked, that he spoke to people, that he, that he ate and he slept and he did all of that, and that he died and that he really rose again. How do I take that, how do I understand that, and apply that to the life that I live every day? How do I take that truth and how do I have it affect the way I live, the way I talk, the way I spend, the way I love? How do we do that? Well, the way, the way we do that is we're going to look at what Psalm 103 tells us about this. 
Uh, I love Psalm 103 because Psalm 103 addresses for us uh, and speaks to us in a way that is different from many of the other Psalms. Many of the other Psalms begin with a, a proclamation of, by David, the Psalm writer or other Psalm writers, to tell the creation or to tell the church to bless, to worship, to turn, to repent. But Psalm 103 tells us to speak to the person we talk to the most. Now, I'm a religious professional. I make my living off the gospel. I, when I, if I were to ask you, probably, if we were sitting over a cup of coffee, who do you talk to the most? You might feel the pressure to say, Jesus, <laughs> I don't want him to think I'm not religious, right? But you talk to yourself the most. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know a lot about psychology, but I do know about myself, and I know I talk to myself all the time. On Tuesday mornings, I'm usually by myself at home. Marty gets up and goes to work, and I drink my coffee, and occasionally our kids would be in and out on Tuesday mornings, would be there, and one day I heard my daughter yell down from upstairs, who are you talking to? Talking to me. We've been slowly over the years uh, redoing things at our house. Uh, a couple of years ago, we put a beautiful white fence around our backyard. It's the best fence in the neighborhood. <laughs> I love that fence. It just looks so good. I, and I will often come home and stand at the, one of the windows and just look at my fence. I love that fence. The back part of my lot is a power easement for Virginia Power. I'm a stockholder in Virginia Power. So I look at that often and think, look at that transformer making me money out there, right? The problem with that easement is, and the problem with Virginia Power is, there's a lot of trees that live in that easement that die. And Virginia Power is not interested in doing anything about those trees that die. I've called them. I've talked to them. I've said, hey, you got dead trees out here in your easement that are going to fall on my property. And they're like, are there power lines there? And no, thankfully, they're all underground. Not our problem. So I'm looking out my window on Wednesday afternoon admiring my fence. And I think, wow, there's some big limbs laying in my backyard. And then the more I looked, I realized, no, those are not big limbs. That's a tree crushed my fence, laying in my backyard. Well, it's late Wednesday. I can't get to it then. I got to go to church on Thursday. I got to go to church on Friday. So Saturday morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to take care of that tree and I'm going to take care of the fence because that's what I do. And I need to continue to do projects like this to prove to myself that it's 61. I haven't missed a beat. Now, I'm a suburban household person, so I have a suburban chainsaw that is too big and too powerful for what I need, and I only operate it once every two or three years, <laughs> thankfully, gratefully. So, of course, I can't get it to start, and so what's going to be a 10-minute job suddenly morphs into a much longer and much more strenuous job because the old bow saw requires this shoulder to get a workout. So the Lord, and well, first of all, I'm having a conversation with myself yesterday morning. Why is everything so hard? 
Why? Why is it so hard? Why? And then I invited the Lord into that conversation. Lord, why did this happen? This is such a dumb thing. And I know I am a privileged, rich person who could afford to pay someone else to do this, but I'm stubborn that way and decide that I'm going to do this myself, and yet I'm complaining bitterly the whole time. Lord, why did this happen? Why, on top of everything else that's going wrong in the world, on top of everything else that I have to be anxious, disturbed, angry, bitter about, why this? Why now? Who do you talk to when things like this seem to go awry? Well, we most often talk to ourselves as David does here in this text. And I'm going to read to you now Psalm 103. David begins in the, the first two verses, he speaks to himself, and then in the next 17 verses, he lists all the reasons and all the responses to the question, why is this so hard? And then he ends by expanding who he encourages to look at this Lord and to look at his work and to look at his benefits and his blessings to the whole of creation. This is God's word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord knows, shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and to remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his, his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul." Because you see, what, the, what David is doing there is responding to and speaking to himself 
what he knows to be true. We used to use an old discipleship curriculum here called Sonship, where we would, one of the taglines in it is, you preach the gospel to yourself, right? Because before we can bear witness to the world, before we can bear witness to those we love, first, the truth of the gospel, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, must come to me first, right? I must uh, have that uh, good news proclaimed to me. I must have the Lord open my eyes to see that. And then to begin, as David does here for 17 verses, list out all of the benefits that come to mind of the great love, steadfast love of the Lord for his people. And so as we gather here today in a world that is broken and, and broken pretty severely and pro- likely to be broken even more, We are tempted in so many ways. We prayed today for our commonwealth and for our nation and for our world. We prayed for people who are oppressed. We prayed for our enemies. We prayed for those among us who grieve. We prayed for all of those who struggle in mind, body, and spirit. We prayed for the depressed. We prayed for those who struggle with their faith. Why? Because they're here. On Easter Sunday, I came across this uh, 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 quotation as I thought about this, you see, because um, as we think about all of the, the list of all the things that the psalm writer can think, in many ways what David is doing here is he is answering the question that he asks himself in Psalm 42, why are you cast down O my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Which is a great question for us to ask and which is a, a great place for us to, to, to begin to talk to ourselves and to uh, uh, process what's, what's happening here, right? As I put up there earlier, that quotation from Esau Macaulay, Christians at their best are the fools who dare believe in God's power to call dead things to life. You see, that's what David gets at in this psalm. I'm not going to take the time today to go through 17 reasons for you not of the benefits of the Lord because that ham is waiting, isn't it? But uh, the the reality is, as we as we look at this, we see just a, 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 a David piling up one after another these great things that the Lord has done. And I think one of the things that we could never forget about this is that he forgives all our iniquity, heals all our diseases, redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. We, we hear that word that he redeems us from the pit. And what we think the pit is, is this, this place of sadness, this, this place of, 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 of uh, we think of it, I think of it typically as a place of depression and darkness. But it is that, but it's worse than that. Anytime you read the word pit in the Old Testament, what you should read is the pit is the place where sin and death reign. The pit is the place where, where uh, it seems as if God is absent because the pit is a place where you die. Because when you fall into it, you can't get out of it. You can't see out of it. You can't hear out of it. You're stuck. 
And so when we read here in this text that, that God actually comes to us and redeems our life from the pit, he comes to us and walks into that darkness and shines the light, illuminates the pit, and pulls us out of it because we can't climb out of it our, ourselves. There's something powerful about that because Jesus Christ himself went to that place where sin and death reigned. He went to that place. He went to the pit of the grave. And for a period of time, his body was under the power of the pit. And so wherever you find yourself in darkness today, wherever you find yourself broken, wherever you find yourself hopeless, hopeless, afraid, anxious, overwhelmingly sad, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, because this Jesus did this for me, lived a life I could never live, died my death and rose again so that I can say and look forward to in hope the crown of righteousness and loving kindness that he gives to me. You see, I think that that is one of the things that we have to, to see about what, what's happening here because our, our tendency is to view the resurrection in some pretty odd ways, isn't it? Uh, until the pandemic, I think a lot of us approached the resurrection, a, a group of us, a number of us uh, in our uh, uh, culture. And when I mean our culture, I mean the church culture, because it's, it, well, you know what, they're, they're pretty much the same anymore. But the, 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 the fact of the matter is the way we tend to think about the resurrection is, hey, you know, we are the people who believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and here are all the reasons why we believe that. And so on Easter Sunday is a special day that we celebrate because it's when we stick our thumb in the eye of the secular person who doesn't believe that. I, I so often, you know, I would, I, I, I confess, I would prepare myself with all the reasons why the resurrection is true, daring someone to have the temerity to come to me and to say, I don't believe it. Well, I'm ready for you. That sounds like love, doesn't it? <laughs> that, that sounds like loving kindness. That, that sounds like saying to me, a broken person, or to the person who is there without hope in the world, hey, you know what? I'm better than you because I believe this. That's so silly. But one of the things that the pandemic has done for us is it's hurt all of us. All of us. One of the things, the, the, the troubles of the last year, the, uh, the uh, unrest, the crazy, horrifying images that we see on the news, all of us have been hurt. Not one of us has escaped without fear, anxiety, anger, bitterness. It's true, isn't it? And so when we come to a day like Easter, you know, what we could, could falsely do is begin to approach Easter and approach the resurrection of Jesus Christ like we do our favorite drug, and that somehow or other this inoculates us against the reality of this, but that could not be further from the truth because the, because the Easter story, because the reality of what we celebrate today is rooted uh, not just in our self-talk and not just in a kind of wish projection that the world was better, but is actually rooted in time and in space to people 
who are broken and grieving. Next slide, please, Luke. The women did not go to the tomb looking for hope. We forget that, don't we? They're there to finish. And, and just to give you an idea how hopeless they are, I mean, uh, Mark makes, makes it very clear that they buy these spices that they're going to prep Jesus' body with, but how in the world are they ever going to get in there? He says it's a very large stone. They're going to grieve. They, they have this obligation to do this. I think this is a way that they can assuage their grief and a way that they can be faithful and love Jesus to the very end, right? I think they're doing that. But, but you don't, they're not going there in hope. They're, they're not, they don't even have the hope that they can get to his body to do the thing that they think they're supposed to do. They're just going to go there and hope and pray that somehow or other, some way or another, they can get in there and dress his body up. No, they're not going there looking for hope. They're searching for a place to grieve. I bet some of you will go to a cemetery today, as well you should. They wanted to be left alone in despair. And the terrifying prospect of Easter is that God called these women to return to the same world that crucified Jesus with a very dangerous gift, hope and the power of God. The unending reservoir of forgiveness and an abundance of love. It would, it would make them seem like fools. That's why I love it when they're like, oh, we're afraid, we're not going to go talk to anybody about this. Ah, what, what am I supposed to do now, right? Who could believe such a thing? Who could? Listen. That great philosopher, Jim Morrison, said it best, right? Nobody gets out of here alive. And so as we, as we look at this, what, what is this thing that we're talking about? What is this hope that we have? What, what is this thing that we are, are sinking our hearts into? And I am urging you today to see it as the benefit that the psalmist records for us. That because of all of these 17 things, these 17 verses of benefits that he writes to us today, they are nothing and they don't even exist if Jesus is still dead. But because Jesus is alive, all of these benefits are real and in time and in space. Listen, one of, one of the things that you'll see a lot at, at Easter is this, uh, a lot of symbols, right? I mean, a lot, of, a lot of good symbols and a lot of terrible symbols. We, we have this, Marty got this card uh, from, um, well, she got a card, not from any of you. But uh, she got this card, and it's got a chocolate, really cheap chocolate too. But it's got a, it's got a, it's got a cheap chocolate cross on it that my grandson's going to enjoy this afternoon uh, because his palate is not so discriminating that he can't tell good chocolate from bad chocolate. But it's got that in it, and it's covered in butterflies because we like we like we like the butterfly as a symbol of Easter. Terrible symbol. Terrible, <laughs> terrible symbol. We, you know, a lot of people like it, but, and I like butterflies. And, you know, butterflies are an evidence that God changes things and that's, that sort of stuff. 
But, you know, you get butterflies coming back every year, and then they die. Jesus lives forever. And because I am in him, and he is in me. It's not just spring that we celebrate. It's not just new life that springs from the earth. No, we celebrate the first fruits of the resurrection that will be ours. Next slide. So why is it important to remember the resurrection of Jesus? Well, it gives us a true place to go with our grief. And as I said, so far Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection because the truth is the resurrection means so much to us uh, because so far his tomb is the only one that's been emptied. Right? But he is the first fruits. Perhaps in the next few days you'll plant something a tomato plant, a fig bush, something. And you'll wait in eager anticipation for that fruit to come. And as the days go on, and as you anticipate that, when you see that first fruit and you pick it and you taste it, it's the sweetest. And it's the sweetest because you've waited so long and you've desired it for so long, but it's also the sweetest because it points to many more. So what we are proclaiming and what we recognize in the place that we take our grief today is, is to his empty tomb looking forward to the day where all of our tombs will be empty. Maybe, you know, the, the, one of the things that we we tend to uh, struggle with is what seems like to be so much the finality of death. And there's much about death to overwhelm us. The truth is, uh, if the Lord tarries, uh, many of us will die. All of us will die. And, and all of us who know us and love us will die. And there will be a time where no one will know or remember that you are here except for a little thing on Ancestry.com somewhere. For dust you are, and to dust you'll return. But the first fruits of the resurrection proclaims to us that he does not forget that dust, that he loves that dust, he knows that dust by name, and he will raise that dust imperishable on the last day. That's where we take our grief. Secondly, it roots our hopes in something tangible. The fact of the matter is we, uh, we, we are always looking for something to place our hope in. We, we look to medical science. We, we look to the rising stock market. We look to a political party or a political candidate. We look to so many things to place our hope in. And, and, and honestly, the Lord is, is good in some ways so that some of those things, at least some of the time, partially deliver on that hope. But in the end, they all fail. Why is that? 
Well, the hope that we're talking about here is not some kind of hope in some kind of thing that's temporary, or even hope in an idea, or even hope in a person in, in, in the sense in which we, we tend to think about that. The, the fact of the matter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives us something tangible to hope in because we live in a tangible world. We have nerve endings. We have skin. We have bodies. We eat. We drink. We feel pain. We do all of those things, and what we proclaim on Easter Sunday, indeed what we proclaim every Sunday is, a dead physical body was raised from the dead, and that's our hope because we are in him and he is in us. And so the hope that we have is not in something that we hope that things will work out or that we hope things will get better or we hope that somehow or other that that we get out of here with the least amount of suffering possible. No, our hope is rooted in the fact that a man suffered, bled, and died, and now he's alive. He's breathing, walking, eating, talking. Our hope is in that. Our hope is in him, right? And then lastly, it just gives us hope. Now, this is the thing that I think is hard for many people because the fact is we look around us and people we know who do not celebrate the resurrection or who are cut off from the resurrection and somehow or other, we think they have no hope. That's not true. They have a lot of hopes. Just ask them what they're hoping in. Now, most human beings, except those the most despairing among us, walk through this world with some kind of hope. We hope in something we hope in somebody. Even, even people who are suicidal are placing their hope in the fact that that act will remove them from their suffering. Right? I mean, I know that's pretty bleak and a pretty, pretty hard thing, but that, that's the truth. They put their hope in something, right? But the hope that we extend is a hope that lives. As we'll read in a few minutes, the, the hope that, uh, that Easter gives us, the hope of the Christian gospel, is that our hope is, resides in someone who is dead, who is alive forevermore. Our hope lives. It breathes. He, he walks. He talks. And he will wipe every tear from our face someday, calling us by name. And so the hope that we have is not some kind of wish, but it is rooted and embedded in a real, live, breathing person who is dead, who is now alive forevermore. And so that is where we, as we think about our lives and we talk to ourselves, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He's alive. The tomb is empty. And he loves me. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you uh, today that this um, hope that we have is not some sort of uh, fake wish projection, but it is rooted in, in terrifying and wonderful ways uh, in you. And so I pray today that you would help us with that. I pray that you would... Uh, Train us by your spirit to remind ourselves of that truth. And so when we ask that question, why are we so downcast? And Lord, you know there is much to make us downcast. That you would remind us of your benefits, of the empty tomb, of uh, the once and coming king. Lord, I pray that you would lift our hearts and lift our voices, lift our souls,
to see and to know that you are the one who raises the dead. Lord, help us not to forget that. Help us to be faithful to tell ourselves that as we walk through and look forward to the first fruits becoming the harvest. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, let's confess our sins together by using this confession of sin uh, in the bulletin and up, also up on uh, the screens behind me. Almighty God, by the power of your Spirit, you have raised Jesus from the grave and crowned him Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before him or acknowledged his rule in our lives. We have often seen and followed ways that lead to death and failed to give him glory. Forgive us and raise us from sin that we may be your faithful people. Lift our eyes to look upon our Savior that we might live. Help us to see Jesus Christ who rules all things and is head of the church, his body. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come.